Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you've had a great day. And if you're in the car heading home, how nice it is to um, be tuning into Faith Radio. And Because today we're going to talk with Marshall Siegel. He's a writer and managing editor at DesiringGod.org. I always encourage you to go to DesiringGod.org. There's so much amazing content there. But today we're going to talk about the spiritual dangers of isolation that's our topic today. Marshall, welcome. It's so good to be back. Thank uh, you. I so appreciate the show and uh, any chance I get to come talk about Jesus with Amen. you guys. Amen. So Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Talk about that. Yeah, it's it's one of those verses at least for me, that as you're reading through your Bible day after day, year after year, I'd read the verse a number of times, but it just lodged itself in my mind a couple of years ago. And I wonder if it does for you. So whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. We could talk about that. But this is the the phrase that really arrested me. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So there's something about isolation that's not just spiritually dangerous, which again we can talk about, but it breaks out against sound judgment. It's foolish. Wow. And the reason that lodges itself for me is because I just see so many people, and I, I minister mostly among 20 and 20 something, 30 something um, students, college students, post college, young marrieds, uh, with eventually with young children, and I see so many isolated people. Which is really strange because you think about our time and you'd think we'd be the most connected people (laughs) in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. But I suspect that that's not the case and that the technology that we have, which can facilitate some really – I mean that's what happened right now. We're we're talking and other people are benefiting hopefully from the word of God and from our conversation. There's some amazing technology happening right now. But I think the technology in a lot of cases can mask a real deep sense of loneliness a lot of people have. So if I think a lot of people that I know – are lonely slash isolated. And this says that kind of isolation breaks out against all sound judgment. I want to know, what does that mean? Why? Mm-hmm. How does that work? Yeah, I saw a couple of people eating Saturday night, and they were both at the table looking at their phones. And I I noticed that when I looked up from my phone. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't have to finish that sentence. Everyone on this, everyone listening right now knew how to finish that sentence. I saw two people sitting at a table and they both were what? Looking at their phones. Looking at their phones, yeah. And mm-hmm. and their minds probably again, quote unquote, connecting with someone out there, social media, reading something online. It it has the illusion of connectivity, but I think we're seeing more and more that 
people are more isolated than ever, mm-hmm. or at least as isolated as ever. Mm-hmm. More. Marshall Siegel is my guest over from over at DesiringGod.org. Marshall, you say in your article, we are lonely but fearful of intimacy. That's a loaded statement. Yeah, so actually that's a quote from Sherry Turkle. Um, her book is called Alone Together. She's not a believer, but the book is really powerful. It's a uh, She's a sociologist looking at the effects of technology. And she talks in that section about how, um, again, how technologically we're connected, but that the connection is, it's an illusion. It's not a real meaningful connection. She, she points specifically to we'd rather text than talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Think about that. Trying to connect with someone and our visceral thing is I'd rather text that person than actually talk to them. And so, yeah, well, why is that? A lot, a lot of people relate to that and say, yeah, that's the case. I would rather someone text me than just call me out of the blue. And why is that the case? And I think it's because the, the live interaction, whether over the phone and then especially face-to-face, is way more vulnerable. You, you lose control. Whereas text, I can think for a long time about how I'm going to respond. I can, I can write it and rewrite it. I can send it whenever I want. There's all these control mechanisms. But the more that you control and the more artificial it becomes, the less meaningful the connection is. And you can receive it in isolation, too. Right, exactly. I mean, if I call you and say, Marshall, can I borrow 10 bucks? I'm going to get an instant response. You might roll your eyes going, here he is asking for money again. But if I text it to you, you go, now you can receive it in isolation. Right. And my response is not going to be as indicative. (laughs) Yeah. So my laugh tells you. (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah. We're just not giving ourselves to each other. Right. Over text message the way that we do. On a phone call, and we're not giving each other on a phone call like we can all five senses in person. So, yeah, that's what I'm probing in this article is what is the nature of of this isolation that's so pervasive and why is it dangerous? I love Proverbs 18.2. It's one of my favorite verses. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. (laughs) That's a good verse for you to have as your favorite (laughs) one, your line of work. Yes. yeah, I think that helps us understand what kind of isolation this is talking about. I don't think it just means someone that's locked away in a room, but someone who's unwilling to hear what other people think. So it's it's a kind of pride that says, I just want other people to hear what I think. I don't I don't want to hear what other people think. And so a lot of people listening might think, Well, I'm not I'm not going around dishing out my thoughts and opinions on things, so this must not be me. And I think, no. I think the better question is who's meaningfully speaking into your life right now? Who do you let speak into your life? And not and just and and far beyond just the the normal social shallow small talk, but really like who's engaging the aspects of your life where they're they're challenging you, they're exhorting you, they're correcting you. The more people I meet today, the, the fewer and fewer I feel have those kinds of meaningful connections. They they know of are acquainted with way more people mm-hmm. online, but they don't have the kind of meaningful life on life face to face relationships that the Bible describes. Who's got your attention? Who can speak truth into your life? Who can contradict your will and at least get you to think, right? Exactly. And it touches a thread in Proverbs. So you get Proverbs um, 3, 7, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. (laughs) So I mean, that's be not wise in your own eyes, but turn away from evil. And then Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man. So there's a way that seems right to me, mm-hmm. Marshall, but its end is the way of death. So be not wise in your own eyes. Turn away from evil. 
there's a way that seems right in your eyes, but it's, it's way actually ends in death. So there's people listening right now who have like, this is how, what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to make. This is the way that I'm going to live. And in their minds, it's, this is the right thing to do. This is wise, but God's warning us through Proverbs, but it's way ends in death. And the way that we discover that where that path leads is through the eyes of meaningful relationships, through the eyes of a friend who's willing to look and say, no, I think you're wrong about that. Marshall Siegel is my guest, and I'm going to read from his article, which is up at DesiringGod.org. The proud man, we learn, breaks out against all judgment because he invites destruction on himself. Arrogance makes his isolation dangerous. I don't spend more time with other people because I don't need other people because I know better than other people. This pride distinguishes isolation from the virtues of solitude, which God encourages again and again. Powerful, powerful comment. Yeah. I doubt very many people on listening again will admit to thinking that way. That I don't spend more time with other people because I don't need other people because I know better than (laughs) other people. Mm -hmm. But our lifestyles tell the truth. Do we? spend time with other people to to gain wisdom and perspective from other people or not. If we don't, then we're functionally saying, I don't need that. I need food, so I eat. I need sleep, so I sleep. Whatever whatever other things you do, you do in, in essence because you think you need them. If we don't spend time asking for counsel, if we don't sp- spend time seeking out encouragement, seeking out correction, then we're saying, I don't need that kind of meaningful community. And I think Hebrews 3 is is probably or some of the best verses to put on that. Take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day. Not just every now like once a month I'm going <laughs> to grab coffee and get an exhortation. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So I think it's a New Testament passage teaching the same reality. And he's saying sin is so deceitful that if you don't have someone speaking into your life and confronting the desires that you have that are sinful and would lead you astray, sin will harden you. It'll harden you and lead you to fall away from the living God. So, yeah, that's uh, understanding how pride, how deceitful pride can be and how easily we can be convinced that, that we know what's best for us and we don't need to have other people's perspective can lead us into this kind of isolation that I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Marshall, what draws us into the spiritual shadows of isolation? Yeah, so I think, again, that Hebrews 3 gets to it in terms of um, what makes sin deceitful. How does Satan make sin appealing? And it's, it, He appeals to our desires mm. i think so um so i think what causes us to isolate ourselves is we think we know what's best for us we don't really deep down want to hear someone else challenge what we think what's best for us because that might force us to let go of what we think's best for us and so we protect ourselves and our vision for ourselves and hide from from community so and then I think there's a lot of other things like convenience. So apart from just, I think at the baseline, why we avoid it is because Satan has convinced us, has lured us away through sinful desire. And that could be any number of desires that that either overtly or quietly draw us away from community. But then also I just think it takes work. 
relationships like I'm describing are not normal and they're not easy and they're and they consistently require intentionality and investment that most people just don't aren't willing to give the time and energy to cultivate. So I feel this in my in my own life. I I have to to deliberately set aside time to pursue this kind of friendship, this kind of conversation that draws me out of myself, draws me out of my blindnesses, my 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 weaknesses, my blind spots, and draws me into the light where I can be changed and refined and redirected in the ways that God wants to. Mm-hmm. Are we using crutches right now coming out of COVID? It's Absolutely. harder and harder to do. I mean, that's honestly partly why I want to talk about this today is because I think one of, you know, God was teaching us 10,000 things through the last couple of years, but one of them was just how desperately we need the body of Christ and how much we need one another yeah. to um, to understand God, to see God, to understand ourselves, and to walk faithfully for him. Yeah. Let's take a little break. We'll come back more with Marshall Siegel. He's written a, a piece called Me, Myself, and Lies, The Spiritual Dangers of Isolation. You can go find that article at DesiringGod.org. We'll be right back with Marshall in just a minute. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. I'm back with my friend Marshall Siegel. He's a writer at DesiringGod.org. Learn more about him there, DesiringGod.org. We're talking today about isolation, and it's not a good idea. There's lots of spiritual dangers associated with isolation. And um, Marshall, I want to talk a little bit about how important uh, friends are and the sweetness of a friend. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, let's make sure we circle back to solitude because you mentioned that. Oh yeah, I did, didn't right I? Right before the break. Yeah, very short attention span. And I want to make sure that very we don't memory. we distinguish between <laughs> isolation and solitude. Okay, yeah, let's um, do that, and then we talk about. Let's start there. Okay, let's start yeah. there. So I think the thing I want to make sure I think. I want to make sure that I distinguish that isolation and solitude are different, and I'm, at least in the way that I'm defining them. And, and the reason I bring that up is that some people could be listening to me talk about isolation and say, well, what about passages in the Bible that seem to commend solitude? So I think about Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, do what? Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, so isolated, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Or we, or we see in Jesus, Mark 1, and rising very early in the morning. So he's trying to tell us it's significant when he's rising. While it was still dark, so just in case you didn't get the very early, while it's still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So in those two passages, we see that solitude is vital. Meaningful time alone with God is vital to the Christian life. I just suspect that most people that are isolated today aren't experiencing solitude. So they, they're on, this is why you see people at, at dinner on their phones, watch the same thing and waiting in a line or, or in the morning when they get up, the first thing they do, what do they do? They get on their phone. So the phone, by the fact that we're carrying this thing around in our pockets all the time, I think it's eliminated solitude for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to put a 
just lodge a, a word in here that's the the practice, the habit of solitude, I think is vital for the Christian life. And it's you can't have a meaningful prayer life without meaningful solitude. So um, I think solitude is really important. We want to pres- protect it and preserve it. What I'm talking about in terms of isolation is more about um, in the rhythms of your time alone with the Lord, are there also healthy rhythms of meaningful conversation with other fellow believers of Jesus? I'm glad we discussed that. Isolation versus solitude. Now let's jump back to now the sweetness of a friend. Yeah, so you're quoting the Proverb 27, 9. Oil and per- perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. I just wonder how you would, how many people would, would end that proverb. The sweetness of a friend comes from what? I, I just think relatively few people are going to say earnest counsel. <laughs> you know, it's just not what yeah. we think of. We, yeah. we, we think of the kind of fun that we have with yeah. mutual hobbies or interests. Yeah, or, or helping move my couch. Helping move your couch. Yes. But not from giving me a earnest God word exhorting counsel, <laughs> telling me how to live more faithfully for Jesus. It's not how we think about it. But he doesn't say just the goodness of a friendship. He says the sweetness of a friendship. So I don't, I, I think he's just describing reality. It's not like sometimes this is the case and sometimes not. I think he's saying if you're really experiencing friendship, real friendship, the way that God designed it, the sweetness of it is in earnest counsel. Those are the kind of friends you want. Mm. And if you don't have them, you should do everything you can to have one. <laughs> and if you have one, you should do everything you can to keep them. Mm-hmm. And it does. It takes work and it takes commitment. It takes intentionality. Um, so, yeah, I think friends, if you want to grow your friendship, if you, have a good, if you think you have a good friendship, but this sounds weird. I, don't, I, haven't, I don't, can't remember the last time my friend gave me earnest counsel, then I would just plead with the Lord. How could we go there together? How could I go to my friends and say, Hey, I want you to speak into my life. I want you to ask me hard questions. I want you to encourage me when I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed about things. I want you to help me see more of Jesus. I think in a lot of Christian friendships, that conversation is going to be received really well. Not like you're some alien. What are, right. what are you asking me for? Right. It's just there's there's there aren't a lot of people that are willing to go there, and that's that's what we need. If you want to experience the sweetest friendship, if you want to if you want to to have the to experience what friendship was really made to be, then practice this with one another. That's like diffusing the bomb, though. Do I do I clip the green wire or the yellow wire? Because <laughs> you clip the wrong wire and things are going to blow up. I mean, I think generally people are interested in hearing what friends say, but they're still holding a certain defensiveness and level of protection because I still have my way of doing things. And you can give me your counsel, but may not change my mind. I'm curious, though, in your relationships where you've where you've tasted this, yeah. how did it, how did it get there? When I got counsel, yeah. When you when you experienced the sweetness of a friend and earnest counsel, how did that relationship get to that? Oh, it was fantastic. It was a great uh, boost for the friendship and the relationship. Yeah, you move into a level of trust that you go, oh, "This is really nice," because the vulnerability produces more trust. I, I'm so glad you said that. The exact <laughs> word I had in my head was vulner- okay. vulnerability. Yeah. So I think. If you want to experience earnest counsel from a friend, probably the, f- the first step in that is vulnerability. When I'm sitting with you and I share about what I'm struggling with mm-hmm. or a fear that I have, 
that immediately changes the dynamic of our conversation. And in most cases, in a healthy dynamic, the other person's going to want to go, want to go to that level with you. You've opened the door and you've gone there and now you're welcoming them there. So I would say if, if you have a relationship and you treasure a relationship, but it doesn't get very deep and you don't have this kind of, this kind of spiritual conversation, I would say that the first way to do that is to start being vulnerable with mm-hmm. that person. You also don't want it to come around and bite you if the person that you're being vulnerable with is not as trustworthy as you hoped. Maybe you hear some gossip a week later. And, I, hey, I heard, Marshall, that you were, and it was, where'd, where'd you hear that? So th- there is risk involved as well. Absolutely. And I didn't talk about gossip in the article, but I think it's really good to mention that, that these relationships are built on trust. Mm-hmm. And so if someone does confide in you, if someone's vulnerable with you and is, is essentially seeking this kind of friendship and this kind of counsel from you, it's really important who you share that information it's with. It's sacred, and how. isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think gossip isolates as many people, you know, gossip isolates people as much as any other factor, mm-hmm. I think. And I love this passage in Proverbs. I think it's in 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. I've, I don't know if I've fully embraced that one. Do you yeah. have any insight on that one, Marshall? It was one of our conversations, actually, from several months ago that we I came in to talk about hard of course, words of I in relationships. <laughs> You've had of course a lot of conversations yeah. since then, but it is something I've thought a lot about. And again, I think um, it can be hard to begin to go there, but once you build a relationship of trust that goes there, that's willing to say, I think you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often say when people ask for counsel, you know, wisdom for everyday decisions that the Bible doesn't speak clearly to, I say, look to those who know you best, love you most, and are willing to tell you when you're wrong. Mm. So who is that? Who do you think of said, yeah, they're willing to tell me when I'm wrong. And to be able, when you're separated from the moment, because in the moment you think, ah, this person doesn't love me, they're telling me I'm wrong. But if, you could, if you're able to look back now with perspective on some of those moments and say, they were right. How much did they love me to come to me and have that difficult conversation? That's hard. How much did they love me to do that? So I would say lean into those relationships like that. So I think if you experience it, if you build trust and go there, I think God says in his word, you're going to experience in a sweetness there that you weren't experiencing when the, when the conversations were at a different level mm-hmm. and not willing to go there. Marshall, what, what was the sweetness verse again? That's Proverbs 27, 9. Do you have that right in front of you? Yeah. Can you read it again? Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Mm-hmm. Rosie, next time we have Marshall on, don't, don't book him for a half hour. Book him for an hour. I know. I've been trying. I mean, this is crazy because we're done. Right? Yeah. It went too, way too fast, Marshall. I know. My last question is, how about that 10 bucks? <laughs> we'll talk about it after. Okay, good. Marshall Siegel has been my guest and his article is called Me, Myself, and Lies, The Spiritual Dangers of Isolation. So you can go to desiringgod.org and you can get the article right there. He also has it on audio as well. And I would assume that you uh, narrate that, don't you? I do. Awesome. All right. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute.
Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Welcome back to the show. If you just join me, you're in for a treat. I'm going to hear an amazing, we're going to hear an amazing story. Fernando Arroyo has written a book called The Shadow of Death, From My Battles in Fallujah to the Battle for My Soul. He returned from his latest deployment in the U.S. Army, and his life started to fall apart. He said, one night after heavy drinking, I placed my pistol in my mouth and thought a prayer. Silence. We're going to hear about that as he now does work helping veterans uh, and their struggle with suicide. So given all that's going on in the military right now and the uh, men and women that come home in that similar condition that he found himself in, it's going to be an amazing story. Fernando, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you for serving our country. Um, I look at your picture on the back of your book, and I, I just, I have, I have tears well up in my eyes. You, wow. you, you brave men over there fighting uh, for our country. It's amazing. So, I mean, my line at Starbucks was long today, and I was kind of <laughs> irritated. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's uh, definitely a unique experience to go to war. Uh, Indeed it is. And I can't imagine the trauma and what you went through. And you come home, and how do you pick up the pieces? Because a lot don't. A lot end up in a very sad story called suicide. Yeah. So many of my friends ended their lives. And to pick up the pieces, um, it takes takes effort. It takes a commitment to find community, to not Mm -hmm. isolate. It takes... uh, work on each veteran's part and I had to figure out the hard way that it takes a relationship with Jesus Christ. It takes the church community. It takes uh, accountability with church groups and admitting that you need help if you know that you're struggling. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can share your personal story, how you uh, came back from your uh, deployment in Fallujah and you found yourself kind of in a place of despair. Yeah, well, Fallujah was my first of three deployments. So that was just my first time in combat. Then I went to Afghanistan, and then I deployed again to Beji, Iraq. So I spent over two, over two years in, of my life in combat. My last deployment to Beji, Iraq was 15 months. And when I got back to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, after about a month and a half of being back in the United States, I, I was discharged honorably discharged. I got out of the army and I find myself going to a community college out here in California. And my body was here, but my mind was still in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the sights, sounds and smells of war. And and I describe it as a a song on repeat in my head. I could hear machine guns and explosions and radio chatter. Like I was still in Iraq, but I'm here. It took time for me to accept that I wasn't in the military. For some reason, I just I lived out of my duffel bag for over a month thinking that I was going to get called back. And that call never came. Yeah. So it was a rough transition. I can imagine that. um, How did you find, how did you start to find fellowship when you came back? And you have so much to process. Uh, Right. Yeah. Fernando Arroyo is my guest. His book is called The Shadow of Death from My Battles in Fallujah to the Battle for My Soul. So we got, we got some serious work to do, Fernando. Yeah. Definitely. So when I when I came back, yeah, I was going to church, but I went from being surrounded by 
by brothers that valued my life more than my own, and I valued their life more than mine, to then coming back here, and like you said, your line at Starbucks today was long. And, right. Uh, you know, very annoying. Just, yeah, very annoying, right? Like everyone, and I'm not, you know, just, I'm not accusing you of anything, but <laughs> a lot of people in this country are very selfish, self-centered. That'd be it's, me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the line is too long. Get out of my way. No, uh, no, no. Traffic is slow. We're like, cl- cut people off. No, we, we don't get it. Uh, trust me, I'm being very humble about that. I'm I'm saying yeah. uh, you do very serious things, and, and I believe I do serious things as well, but they're, they're not apples and oranges. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, from going to uh, from being in a brotherhood to then coming to this country, everyone's out to look out for themselves, and yeah. I was used to you know looking out for the guys next to me. Now I felt alone. Even at church, I didn't feel comfortable sharing what I was going through and how I was struggling to adapt because I thought that if I shared uh, having nightmares and I was struggling to adapt, and that I share if I shared what I did in combat and you know the people I hurt that I would be ridiculed or looked down on, you know, as being, I just felt bad for the things I did. I had a lot of guilt and shame that I was holding on to. So that kept me from approaching these holy people, you know, like, sure. Oh, I, I can't share what I'm going through. So it was a journey for me to find community. I didn't have it, to be honest. I went to church on Sundays, said goodbye to everybody. See you next Sunday. And that was it. Yeah. And eventually Maybe three years after I got out, that's where, like, the nightmares got worse. That's where I just uh, started questioning my purpose in life. And, and again, I kept this all to myself. My family didn't know. My church didn't know. I was just isolating. And I just I was going deeper and deeper into this darkness. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you find yourself in this darkness, and there's a, a lot of people that— find themselves in darkness and and I'm not comparing again your darkness to anybody else's because I have a difficult time understanding uh, what you went through even as I started reading your book in chapter one you talk about things that are are so difficult to put my head around that I and I know you're just speaking truthfully as to what you experienced but it is it is really hard to read and I say that in a in a, in a way that I'm saying I'm challenged by what I'm reading. It's not yeah. like I want to stop reading it. It's just that it's hard to, it's hard to read. Yeah. I get that a lot from people. And, um, part of, I mean, my testimony is I just, I want to be truthful and I want to share because in order for other veterans, the goal is to help to tell veterans, look, I understand the struggles. I've been there. There is hope. There is hope. And in order for me to reach out to veterans and save lives and to help uh, the families of veterans understand what veterans go through is to, to share that, that darkness. And like you said in Chapter 1, yeah, it, it was just a, a sad day. To be honest, every time I share that story, um, I feel – I still to this day, I, I, I feel a sense of, of humiliation where – I can't believe I, I reached that low point in my life, but I have to remember that God is there. God was there. He is there now. And he is the one who saved me. And he is the one who, you know, um, there's no, no guilt or shame when you believe in Christ. There is forgiveness and there is love and hope. So 
that's the message I want to share with veterans. Yeah. Fernando Arroyo is my guest. His book is called The Shadow of Death, From My Battles in Fallujah to the Battle for My Soul. I, Fernando, I'd love for you to talk about um, how self-medication is what a lot of people, it seems that, come back from uh, the military, find themselves in. Yeah, self-medication. So self-medicating, for people who don't know, is using uh, alcohol or drugs to numb the pain. Um, instead of dealing with the the trauma, what a lot of veterans do is use substances to just kind of tune everything out. And I've heard so many stories as I've been, not only from the guys I've served with, now that my story's out there, the guys I serve with are, are I'm getting phone calls, I'm getting messages from them admitting that they have been self-medicating. Um, I'm getting messages from families where, you know, they of Vietnam veterans and they say, oh, my dad or my, my, my uncle or grandfather served in war and would self-medicate. So this is a trend among military personnel of consuming large amounts of alcohol, um, becoming addicted to pain medication <clears throat> in order to cope mm-hmm. with what's happening inside. And I even know of guys who were wounded in combat received morphine in the hospital to help numb the pain of their wounds and then became addicted to that. So um, self-medication is using substances to numb the pain. That is not the best way to deal with any problem in life. And what has to happen is we get back to the community. We get back to um, seeking help, whether it's, I mean, I recommend reach out to the VA. If you're a veteran, there are psychologists and clinical social workers What you share is confidential. If you're at your church, um, find the pastor, find the the groups, the men's groups that are confidential. What you share is confidential, and you can be vulnerable, you can share, and, and that's what needs to happen is processing these things, talking about these things, and bringing it to God, most importantly, praying to God. I think of uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where when they sinned, they heard God walking in the garden and they hid. And that seems to be human nature. We hide. Mm -hmm. We tend to hide. That doesn't help. And God already knows all things. You're not hiding anything from God. You can go to church and smile. You can, um, like me, you know, I had a smile on my face. No one in my family or church knew what I was going through. And deep down inside, I was hurting. It wasn't until I started to confess what I was going through and I sought help that I found real healing. And it's, it's not instant. It's not instant. And to this day, I still have struggles. This is, the memories are not erased from my mind. And, but it's a journey, you yeah. know, this process that we call sanctification, where it's a lifelong process, but my life is so much better now. And I want veterans to get the help that they need. Yeah, amen to that, Fernando. I, I do as well want uh, veterans to get the help they need. You know that old saying that if you walk eight miles into the forest, it'll take eight miles to walk out of it? Yeah. I mean, it, it is not an overnight thing, and the trauma that's associated with what you and your mates uh, experienced <laughs> is something that requires lots of patience. Yeah, true. Yeah, so when I'm going to take a little break, when I do come back, I want to ask you, uh, a little bit about how we best come alongside uh, veterans, especially the ones that may be reluctant to want to even talk to us. I mean, I've come from a generation, I mean, the greatest generation, the World War II folks, they're on their way out almost entirely by now. 
Um, and they usually uh, didn't want to talk about anything. And it was yeah. rare that somebody would open up. seems that I've heard stories about them opening up towards the very end of their life. Um, so how do we, I want to ask when we come back from the break, how we as believers can come alongside veterans and give them hope and encouragement and, and try to build a friendship relationship with them. Fernando yeah. Arroyo is my guest. His book is called The Shadow of Death, From My Battles in Fallujah to the Battle for My Soul. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to have Fernando Arroyo on my show. I always hope I say that last name correct. Is it Arroyo? Arroyo. In Spanish, it's Arroyo. you got to roll the R. Arroyo. Ah, yes. yes. <laughs> how, how am I doing, Fernando? That's, you know, you're doing great. Good, good. So, uh, is Spanish your first language? Yes. That you have got brilliant English. Oh my goodness, that's you speak beautifully. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I, I suppose you started learning it as just a little baby boy, didn't you? Yeah, I grew up bilingual. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, that's a dream of mine. Uh, I don't even speak English that well, so you know I, I'm very intimidated by people who are bi and trilingual. I think that's very cool. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the topic at hand. Uh, your book is called The Shadow of Death: From My Battles in Fallujah to the Battles for My Soul, and Fernando's got a real heart for. Uh, veterans who have come back who are struggling and many have committed suicide many of the people he was in battle with and of course it's broken his heart and he wants to as a follower of Jesus to come alongside and and make a difference and uh, we want to support him and support our veterans and you know the world the World War two you know the greatest generation they're they're pretty much almost entirely gone um, and a lot of them were very um, tight-lipped they didn't really want to talk about their experience and it I don't know if if you and your fellow soldiers who have come back, are you guys willing to talk or are you a little bit tight-lipped as well? Tight-lipped as well. Okay. So something that has changed from, you know, we talk about the greatest generation or even the wars in the past is social media. A lot of guys, I've heard stories of guys that served in World War II and even Vietnam. Once you leave and you get out of the army, well, that's it. You lose contact with the guys you serve with. And today we have social media and I'm friends with most of the guys I serve with, we still keep in contact. I mean, over social media, we don't share about our experiences that much. But when we are in person, we've had reunions, and then all the stories come out. Like, we all hang out, and these stories come out, and sometimes family members are there. I can't count how many times family members hearing our war stories, and they're shocked. They never knew this about their son or daughter. They had no idea. That I had no idea my son went through this or was in these types of operations in, mm-hmm. in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. But as far as like sharing with, with family members and, and, and being open with people, tight-lipped. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. Fernando Araya is my guest. <laughs> I'm going to try it. I'm going to do my very best. And his book yeah. is called The Shadow of Death. And in your book, you say, and this breaks my heart, Fernando, you say, maybe I've crossed over to the dark side. Maybe I deserve to burn in hell. In, yeah. your, in your work with veterans, do you find that to be a common feeling, and how do you help them? Yeah, a lot of veterans carry the guilt and shame of having carried things out that were necessary, yet in order to fight evil, you have to do Mm. similar things that evil people do. I mean, it's just there comes a point where there are no negotiations, where armed men who are out to murder women and children 
must be stopped. And that doesn't mean that because you do it for the right reasons that the horrors you witness are just that you're immune to them. It's, you know, good people doing bad things. Mm -hmm. You know, what we had a saying is we do bad things to bad people. And that's a, that's a burden that we carry. And um, so it's very difficult for veterans when they come back to be able to openly share with those who have not been in combat. Something interesting is I talked to a friend yesterday from Israel and in Israel, everyone has to serve at least two years in the Israeli army. It's a small nation. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there's this bond where it's not uncommon for people to understand like if there, there's everyone has served, right? They all understand military service and training and all that in this country. It's an all voluntary force now, and it's a big country and less than 1% of Americans serve. So it's hard to find people to relate to and to be able to open up people who will understand what it was like to go to war. Mm-hmm. That's why veterans remain tight lipped. Mm, that's so interesting. Uh, Fernando, I, I think I heard, and this expression relative to World War II where somebody said you kill the enemy because you hate them and then you end up hating them because you kill them. I know that's kind of a philosophical, I have to sit and think yeah. about that one for a minute. But while during deployment, um, when you are doing bad things to bad people, does prayer seem something that's right at the front of your mind or do you forget to pray or what would you say is the case with many of the Christians in the military? Are you praying all day long or are you not praying at all or somewhere in between? You know, it varies from veteran to veteran. I myself grew up going to church and what I found, my personal experience was I began to question God's goodness after experiencing the loss of friends. And um, I began, so my faith was tested. Uh, There were other veterans that, you know, I can't speak for them, but I'm sure they, they prayed a lot more than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when I prayed, it would be before what's called leaving the wire. So we're, we're about to exit the base and go carry out a combat operation. And I would just ask God for forgiveness of my sins. And I said, if I die, may I awaken your presence? Yeah. And then, boom, let's go. Let's go out there. But I also questioned his goodness because of the things that I saw. And I wondered... How God could, uh, how such a good God could allow, you know, these bad things to happen, and that was an internal struggle in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so yeah, prayer. Oh, go ahead. No, please finish your thought. No, I was just saying prayer. Looking back now, I should have leaned in on God a lot more than I did. Of course. Instead, what I did was push Him away, like so many veterans that I know. Some even they say they don't believe in Christ anymore wow. um, because of what they saw in war. Uh, I'm glad I'm still a believer. I'm glad that, you know, it it was a journey. I mean, my book, it's, you know, you'll, you'll, if you read it or get the audio book, you'll understand the journey where God was always there. It was me who was pushing him away. Yeah. Talking to Fernando Arroyo, 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 and, uh, (laughs) I'm, I'm going to nail this by the end of the interview, Fernando. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're getting closer. I know, I know I am. Trust me, I know this. <laughs> and, the, and the book is The Shadow of Death from My Battles in Fallujah to the Battles for My Soul. And I know it's Suicide Awareness Month. So maybe what signs should friends and family be looking for if they suspect someone is suicidal? Uh, one of the biggest ones is isolation. When oh, yeah. um, you see someone not 
wanting to talk, not uh, going to family functions, not leaving their home, that's a red flag. Or someone that is uh, not just isolating, uh, there's also other signs like maybe they, they, they're unemployed. It's kind of like these signs of hopelessness that mm-hmm. they're giving up. They're giving up on themselves. Their hygiene is poor. Uh, these are some of the signs. But I think isolation is a big one because you can look good and have a job, but how well do you know the person, right? Like, how well are they opening up? Are they, do you really know the person? Like, I was smiling and I was happy even at church, and people knew I was a veteran. Mm-hmm. But outside of church, I wasn't hanging out with anyone from church. Oh, wow. You know, I was just like, cool, see you next Sunday. Just like show up, smile, and leave. So it's important to get people involved. Know your neighbor. You know, as God says, uh, commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. That means approaching those whom you encounter. And if they're veterans, don't ask about war. Don't ask about, have you killed anyone? That's a common question. That's annoying. Mm -hmm. Just get to know. Be a friend. Get to know the veteran, mm-hmm. let them share what they want to share and you'll build a relationship. And that works with people in general, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fernando, let's work as a team. I think you and I are better as a team. I'll say yeah. I'm speaking to Fernando and then you say your last name. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, the book is called shadow of death. Uh, I'm speaking with Fernando. Arroyo. Thank you so much. Um, t- <laughs> talk about what might've been an angelic experience you had Uh, and maybe in the form of a homeless man? So I had finished my bachelor's degree. um, I really didn't know what career I was going to get into. And so I was kind of lost. And I remember going to the gym. And then when I'm coming back, I I was looking for parking. It's street parking. And, And there's a school across from my apartment where I lived at at the time. And in front of the school were benches. And there's this man sitting in front of, in front of the school on the bench. He looks at me like he knows me and he smiles hmm. and he has, he has these news like papers next to him and he gathers his things and he stands up smiling at me like, like I'm there to pick him up, hmm. you know? And I'm just like, oh, great, a homeless man. He's going to ask me for money. I don't have any. So I park and, and he walks up to my truck and I just, I grab my things quickly and I start walking away. I didn't want to talk to him. And he says, brother, brother. And I'm like, brother, like that, the way he said it. So I turned around. I said, look, I don't have any money. He says, I don't want money. He says, I'm, I'm living at a homeless shelter. I've been walking all day looking for a job. He opened up, he unrolled the newspaper he had, and he had copies of the classified ads, and he had uh, copies of his resume. He says, I've been walking since 5 a.m., and he says, all I want is something to eat. Brother, will you give me something to eat? Hmm. I said, that's all you want? He like, said, yes. I said, well, I just came back from the gym. I got to eat, so... I invited him in my place and we, you know, he sat in my, in my, in my kitchen while I started cooking. And then I, I heard him singing a hymn. I said, are you a Christian? And he says, Oh yes, brother, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Amen. I'm like, Oh, okay. Me too. And he says, brother, I have something else I need to ask. And I'm like, here we go. He's mm-hmm. going to ask for money. He says, I don't have any socks and I've been walking all day. Can you give me socks? I said, yeah, I gave him two pairs of socks. Mm-hmm. And he's so happy putting socks on his feet. Then he says, brother, I need something else. I'm like, okay, he's going to ask for money. And then he says, I need a Bible. Do you have a Bible you can give me? So I give him a Bible reluctantly because I had two of them. And I I thought, man, I don't want to give my Bibles away. 
And I gave him the Bible, and he was so happy. Then we prayed and we ate, and then we started talking. He asked me what I do for a living. I said, I just finished school last week. I'm looking for work. No one is hiring me. I was having trouble getting hired. He says, brother, God has a job for you. I said, okay. And then I walked him out, and there's an alley behind the apartment where I, where I used to live. And we prayed together in the alley. We hugged goodbye. He says, God has a job for you. And I said, thank you. And, you know, God has a job for you too, I told him. And then he, he walked away. And then me being Mr. Curious, I'm like, where is this guy going? Mm-hmm. You know, he's, and I'm kind of in the corner of the alley watching him. And then once he turns the street corner, I sprint to the corner. And then I look, he's gone. The next day I got a phone call and I got a job. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. You might have been entertaining an angel. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. 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 Well, Fernando, thank you so much for doing the show. It's been a delight having you on and meeting you, and I think our teamwork is exceptional. Yeah, so I mean, we I, got it down. I think you could fool people into thinking it was your voice. Yeah, but I'm not going to do that because I'm trying to be <laughs> uh, you know, transparent with my listeners. So you will help me with uh, my exit of this interview, yeah, so I appreciate sure. it. My guest uh, has been Fernando Arroyo. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio change the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.